Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second cap and first cap and whatever. Hello, 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 and welcome to a new week of Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Owen Murphy and Ken all straining. Are you straining at that leash there, Ken, to talk sport? <laughs> yeah, good. That's me straining at the leash you? there, Owen. I'm good. I want to talk about one sportsman in particular, uh, possibly my new favourite Irish sports person. I send my apologies here to Brian O'Driscoll, to both keynotes. James McLean. Sonia. <laughs> Ronnie Delaney. The great Ronnie Delaney. The king, of course, Henry Shafflin. But step, uh, chairman of the boards. Look, all the top guys. Uh, but step aside, folks, and welcome Galway hurler Jonathan Glynn to centre stage. Well, that's interesting because he's also my new favourite. I think my reasons might be slightly different to your reasons, but anyway, we'll... There we'll. more biased. Just, just, a, just a tour de force against Cork yesterday. Performance that had everything. We're talking wonder goal in the opening minutes. Shouldering opponents off the pitch, practically into the stands, and capping it all off with one of the great post-match interviews. In fact, one of the great speeches mm. in any walk of life. First off, his goal, Ken. Let's talk about that. Yeah. You were stunned. Um, it was basically like uh, Gaza's goal against Scotland in Euro 96. Yes. Similar type of uh, con- uh, conception and execution uh, in which he uh, flicked it over a guy's head and finished it off in the same kind of way into the same little part of the net on. Um, uh, d- what, uh, excellent comparison, but with one, th- if, if I may, one slight change, mm. which is that uh, just imagine Gaza was seven foot tall and Colin Hendry was, in fact, Pat Nevin. That's, and I think that you, you have some sort of an idea of the physical uh, difference in sizes that we're talking about here. Because Johnny Glynn is the hugest man I've ever seen. He's, he's gigantic. He's like a big man, all right. He's a big unit. This is all fine. Lots of players have scored great goals. How many intercounty players have given a searingly honest interview such as this? This is Ortiz, Joanne Cantwell asking the questions. And just to set the scene here, it's immediate post-game. It's on the pitch. There's sweat still dripping from Glynn's forehead, but not into his eyes, Ken, because they're well protected. Yeah, by a big gob of Vaseline, which is on his uh, on his eyebrow. He looks it's like the, one of the Klitschko's. It's the kind of sweat you see on a horse at the end of a really long <laughs> race. Someone should have come along with a bucket and just like tipped it over his his, his flanks, his mighty flanks, like yeah, they do at the end of horse his, race. His flanks are well lathered, and uh, he's he's pretty excited as he gets talking to John Campbell. 
Jonathan, well done. Let's talk about your performance, first of all. Was that one of those days where just everything went right for you from the very, very start? I don't know. It's boxing up now, to be honest. Um, I suppose when I got the first goal, I kind of pushed on from there. And uh, it was just lucky. Everything broke my way anyway, so I was happy that way. I think people might think it was a little bit more than luck. Let's talk about that goal, first of all, because it was at the goal at the start. That was an incredible goal. Do you remember much about it? I, all I remember is I thought I was going to get clobbered in the way in there. I threw the ball up in there. I don't know. It was, it was pure luck, no one fairness. Pure luck. So it wasn't an intentional flick over? Well, when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going. So I opened up. And in fairness, I suppose the boys ran around me there and they pulled everyone out of my way. I kind of had a clear old run. So like, the hard work was done by the boys running off. Do you know? What's this about Galway only having one forward? Uh, it's fucking bullshit. Is it in yourselves? Oh, sorry, sorry. Um, like, six forwards there. Joe is probably the best forward in the game, but, like, there's five more of us out there as well. And, like, when you pull a bit of heat off him, see how well he can play, he can score every ball. Amazing. There's modesty in there. There's bullishness mm. in equal measure. There's uh, not suitable for work <laughs> response to a question. It's the most... It, I mean, is that not the most Irish post... Goal, post Super Goal interview <laughs> of all time, like literally, he would re- he refused to accept any credit whatsoever for <laughs> what, as far as I can see, was completely an individual <laughs> goal. Yeah, not barely anybody else did anything. Sure, they were all in the pitch running around. I mean, as they should have been. I didn't see anyone. I mean, he was the guy who got the ball, flicked it over guy's head, and smacked it in. I think it's actually okay to take a bit of credit there, maybe mm. with a self-effacing smile. It was weird. Ah, actually. shucks, Joanne. Yeah. It was actually a pretty good goal. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that actually would have been okay. But su- such is his uh, extreme yeah. Irishness that he had to back away even from, from that much credit. I um, I was actually, I watched it um, on the road. And then, so I, immediately once the game was over, I sat in the car and I heard his radio interview. And I called into my brother's house about half an hour down the road. And I said, oh, God, I, Johnny Glynn, what a game. You know, I, I heard his uh, post-match interview on radio was pretty funny he said wait till you see the TV one and uh, yeah so it proved so it uh, what proved. I particularly liked about it was that he was asked the question about it being a one man team or a one man forward line he, he paused slightly and then still went for it and then <laughs> issued a shocked apology he nearly has a hand up to them out there when he said oh, oh sorry about that I'm not so I'm not so sure how sorry Johnny Glynn actually was albeit by the time he did his interview another interview with John Cantwell a little bit later on for the Sunday game Man of the Match Award. Mm-hmm. This was after he came out of the dressing room, he's got his tracksuit on, all that kind of thing. He gave the most dour, uh, standard, cliche-ridden post-match interview. No cursing, no gags, nothing like that. Somebody might have had a word in the ear of Jonathan Glynn mm. by the time he did the second well, interview. Maybe just thing. the adrenaline stopped pumping. You know? <laughs> it could have been. I, I like no Vaseline, the Vaseline was wiped off at that stage. Joanne Cantwell's next question, there was a couple of seconds pause before she got into it and, and it began... Do you have concerns about, and I thought Joanne Canwell has concerns about what just happened. (laughs) I think that's what's going on with this question. What's up with Cork GA is a question we're going to be asking today. Beaten in both the football and the hurling championships and not putting up much of a fight in either, really. We'll be focusing on the hurling with Owen Kelly shortly, but uh, just on the football, uh, I was quite stunned by how bad Cork were against Kildare on Saturday night and I know some people were saying well you know six day turnaround 60% of teams lose when they only have six days to recover from a big defeat okay that's I'm sure that's I'm sure the people have checked their stats on that one but I don't think that should be a legitimate excuse for a team of the talent level of Cork I mean they know they're going to be playing Kerry they know they could easily go to replay as it does it seems every second year between those teams and then you're either going to win it and you've got a massive game in the quarterfinals or you're going to lose it and you've got a massive game in the qualifiers 
it doesn't to me it shouldn't matter that there's only a week in between the games I mean, what are you there for you're training all year to play these huge matches hmm. and then you'd completely fail to turn up against a, an average enough team like Kildare yeah I mean I, I have a theory as to why this yeah, happened you know and um, core people may not like it but here it is you know empires fall you know the Roman Empire had a good run Cork sport has had a good run it's true they have produced a lot of great sports people over the years Christy Ring of course but it's over now you know and it just it, it all, all that's left now is for Cork sport to pick their Edward Gibbon to write the history and that's it really it's over I mean after this weekend after the two displays that I watched on Saturday and Sunday there's just no other there's just there's no other reason that I can apply to it other than that the history of Cork sport I mean it's it's not a it, the history no longer no longer needs to be written it's basically no bitchery now um it's over it's finished it's done what about all Cork the... come in your time is up what about all the great rugby players soccer ah, players well it's basically I I, I foresee a, f- a slew of retirements in the near future on uh, they know they they see the writing on the wall. They must, John. They must see the writing on the wall before we've seen it. Uh, so, <laughs> so I I I, w- I would say I would take my cap off to Cork Sport and thank them for all of the joy that they've brought us over the years. But it's over. I now. don't know if you saw Donald Logue's line last night when speaking about Frank Murphy and uh, the chairman of Cork GA, mm. the Don of Cork GA, as uh, he called them last night. Uh, uh, Descal was trying to temper the rant that Donald Logan. I always find the word rant hilarious. It sounds like it's totally uncontrolled and the person has, has lost their mind mm. when actually what Donald Logan was saying was really well thought out and it was exactly what he wanted to say. But at one stage, Des Cal says to him, oh, you know, that's not really fair. The A lot of the, the I'm sure Frank Murphy cares about core curling. I'm sure the people around him care about core curling. And he said, Donald Logan said, oh, of course, they'd give their right hand to, for core curling to win. They, they certainly have the passion, there's no doubt about that. But they have as much of an idea of how to uh, run top-level sport as I do about the sleeping habits of the Ayatollah. I was thinking, Donald Logan, where do you come up with these? <laughs> where, 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 is, is that something that you were prepared in advance or just something that popped into your head? Uh, incredible. I'd say the Ayatollah is probably fairly regular. Nine, nine to six. Yeah. Well, I imagine he's up at up at dawn and he probably goes to bed not long after dusk I imagine um, I mean of all I, I mean, of the, I'm prepared the, to go out on a limb and say yeah, that's what he's doing you know I don't think he's an up all night big guy. fan of the show the Ayatollah playing uh, <laughs> playing FIFA till 4am in the morning no, God, how how do, <laughs> what am I doing I'm here I'm wasting so my late. life here oh, God. One okay game. one more game yeah okay <laughs> big box set man just can't stop like three or four episodes at a time he's a, he's a, whore, he's a binge eater or what? a binge watcher Nine to six is probably a bit too much sleep, isn't it? I think he'd rather... You'd be groggy waking up at that stage. Yeah, yeah. No, I'd say, I okay, no more than seven hours of sleep, possibly only six, certainly... I'd say 11 to five would be... Yeah, 11 to five. Maybe. I mean, as you get older, you sleep less anyway, right? Yeah. And he's a, he's a senior. Yeah, I told her, I'm, I'm not going to say I know exactly how old he is, but I'm sure he's not a young man. And uh, he's a <laughs> thrusting young gunner he's in the Ayatollah game. <laughs> There's not many of those, I don't think. No. So, so yeah, I mean, that's, you know, will we, will we say that six hours a night? Yeah. Gets up, uh, prayers, probably not a big breakfast. Rolls and coffee, maybe, rather than the full. Full Irish. Yeah. You're welcome, Don Logue. Uh, by the way, we, just, <laughs> if, 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 we, we like to enlighten on subjects that 
people. Well, we uh, try, we try. It looks like Leinster's search for a new head coaches ended very close to home. As we record, Leo Cullen seems to be all the reports over the weekend and today indicate that he's on the verge of being handed the job full time. Bernard Jackman has made that transition to head coach at Grenoble and he'll join us with Jerry Thorney. But Owen Kelly is going to talk to us about the hurling yesterday, Owen. First of all, Galway's hugely impressive display against Cork. Did they do enough to worry you from a tip point of view ahead of the semi final? Oh, they definitely did. And look, I would say they were on the year two that this Galway team is back to the Galway team that you had in 2012. Um, there just seems to be more about them. Uh, physic- Physically-wise, they seem to be better nick. Their aggression levels are up. They're hunting down everybody in the tackle. And we all know they have the skill. You know, that's never a question with Galway hurlers. Like, but it's just to add those ingredients. They had them there in 2012, and it's back in 2015. And they're going to be very, very dangerous in the Northern semi-final. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of plenty of aggression. A couple of shoulders out over the sideline, followed by the old uh, fist pump. All the rest of that. Oh, there's lots of posturing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very macho stuff. It's kind of like alpha male gorillas. Is basically what I was seeing when yeah, I was watching it, the goal I heard yesterday. Shows that they really wanted, you yeah. know. And I think what's adding to them is the the reappointment of Anthony Cunningham at the start of the season was a massive um, plus, and it showed confidence in the whole setup. And usually with Galway, after two years, managers changed. New backroom team, new coaches and all that. But Anthony Cunning at the helm, like he, he brings that aggression to them. But I think he has the added plus of being there now in his fourth year. Plus he has two lethal forwards now in Cottle Mannion and Jason Flynn, beside one of the arguably the best hurlers in the country, Joe Canning. So he has a lovely mix. And I think what he has found now is he has 20 players going forward into the semi-finals. David Burke is back now. He was injured. And I don't know will Conor Coney make it back, but he definitely has the strongest panel of, um, you know, of three or four teams left that have strong panels and Galway have that. Yeah, and I suppose the point I was making about the, the level of aggression and all the rest of that, like just even from a Galway supporter's point of view, you're kind of looking at it going, right, well, this is actually all it takes for Galway to be really, really competitive is to get, the, that level of physicality, that level of uh, intensity into their play, because everything else is there. And in ways, that's kind of annoying, really, to 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 see that the two years have been wasted, 2013, 2014, since they hammered Kilkenny in the Leinster final in 2012. Yeah. And it's all down to basically what we're talking about here, is just bringing that sort of manic, uh, huge hits, huge physicality to the game. That's all they, that's all they needed to add to really be competitive. It, that's it. Like, and look, if you go overboard on that too, you forget about the actual basics, the hurls, the, the ball. But like Kilkenny seem to bring it day in, day out. They're consistently hard in the tackle, organised, and their hurling just matches it. See, Galway, I think that's the thing with the supporters. Uh, they're worried what's going to come today. But when Galway come like that, they're one of the best teams in the country on, on, on their day. And I think we've seen it more than once this, this season, 2015. So... I think you'll see it again in, in the Ireland's final against Tipperary. It nearly looked like there was a bit of anger to it, a bit of edge to it. We saw Jonathan Glynn, we've been playing a bit of his interview after the game, in which he, he was, uh, you know, he was he responded very bluntly when he was asked about the idea of it being a one-man team. But you could imagine that if you are one of those other 14 men, or if you're, certainly if you're one of those other five forwards, it must really grind on you that essentially everybody is saying you're useless and that you're totally reliant on one guy. That's it. Look, I think he's Thomas Burke, just honest. Was honesty, and I suppose that's the way Galway played yesterday, and they have played like that all season. And Johnny Glean is an honest player; he isn't. He can be no other way. Like you know, what I mean, he he shows for that ball. But no, um, 
Janty Cunningham would be, be very, very happy, you know, like... Uh, He'll be disappointed with the challenge that Cork probably put up in the last 10, 15 minutes. But look, I think the belief just went out of them once they, they went down to 14 men. But look, Galway had a job to do and they they done it from start to finish. Done it for 35 minutes in the Leinster final, faded out in the second half. So if they get another 70-minute performance, you know, they're, they, they'll be very hard to beat. I'm not sure if you saw Donald Logan the Sunday game last night on. I, did, I see bits of it there. I did, yeah. He was kind of... It's not the first time he's directed a, a bullet, I suppose, at, at the Cork County Board, but um, he has a point. The stats don't lie. Um, they've had very poor underage success. But I was just thinking about this as well. They've, Cork is a massive sport county. Sporting county. They've lost, even in the last 10 years, some serious players to professional sports. Darren Sweetman, of, of, of most recently, Tomas O'Leary, Satanto Halpin. I know they're in the 30 bracket now, but... I suppose a lot of their good players could be playing rugby, could be playing soccer either. So I'm sure, 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 sure if they do a bit of research on that, they'll find that, it's, that the structures need to be improved dramatically and straight away, a five-year plan. But they are losing top-quality players to other sports as well because I know Darren Sweetman probably hasn't made the full breakthrough to the Munster rugby. And if he was still a car curler, he'd be one of their main, main players. Yeah, and I'm just curious to, as to what players think about this. You know, that. You know, in in some ways, you you you're only responsible for what happens inside the dressing room. So, you know, you can talk about county boards and you can talk about five year plans and all the rest of that. But is it a, a bit of a safety net maybe for the players that are in the dressing room at the moment to just say, oh well, you know, there there are problems higher up. You know, there, what 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 can we do in a situation like that where Don Logue is talking about literally every single, nearly constituent part of the GA in Cork, and kind of saying it's all wrong. You know, can, do players kind of is there a safety net there for players, or or does that even really impact on how players are thinking? From you yeah, know, one no, day to I, I don't think it would. No, you, look, you can only control the controllables, and that's what goes on in the restroom, training ground, all that. And like Galway and Cork, yes, at half time Galway should have been six or eight points further ahead, but they weren't. So you could say Cork might have been happy enough going in at half time. I know they were chasing the game. But we're still only two scores down, a goal and a point, four points in it. So, you know, you could say they were in the game, but they just don't have enough quality players, and they don't have any, they don't have anything really off the bench to come on and make an impact. And I think that's where they were, they were, they were, they were beaten yesterday. You know, I think look, they don't have the squad, they don't have the twenty or twenty-one players that you need at this level to come on make impacts. Um, you know, everyone judges two thousand and thirteen that they got to the Holland final, unlucky not to win it. But, you know, Cork, our tipping and Kilkenny were gone early that season. So I think everyone probably got a bit of a lift. That's this our chance, maybe. You know I mean? We'll go at this. And, you know, and Clare came out of that, that four teams. But it's uh, a lot has changed since then. And even tactically, the game has changed. But uh, I think Cork are just, they're down in the pecking order. Has Jimmy Barry Murphy been left behind a little bit tactically? It seems like he, he's almost bulletproof. Even the TV analysis afterwards yesterday was focusing on, uh, in fact, Liam Sheedy says that he feels Jimmy Barry Murphy has overachieved given the calibre of players uh, that he's had in this stint as Cork manager. But he's he's achieved so much in the game. Is there a sense that people are wary of, of criticising him? Would you lay any of the blame at his door? Um, I don't think I would. I don't think I would. I think you know he's he's legendary status not only in, in Cork but in, in in the country. Even as a manager, like he brought a team of of kids back in '99 to to win the All Ireland. Mark Landers was his captain. He's now the coach. So like, there's a backroom team involved in this, but they have changed their system, and they worked against Wexford. 
works against Clare. But the thing, I suppose, is that they, they seem to have no aggression yesterday. You know, up front, we'll say, they seem to wear the, the tippy-tappy ball, you know, and not willing to go in and fight Hereford. And I think if, if the ball comes out soft, out of your forward line, that filters through the team and your backs are saying, what's going on up there? Whereas Galway were working like dogs up in the forward line, keeping the ball up there, knocking it around. And then ultimately, they had the skill to get under the break and put it over the bar. Yeah, there was a moment yesterday where Cork attacked. It might have been about 10. I think it was just before the sending off. Obviously, the sending off took a bit of the punch out of them, but it looked like it was gone yesterday. They were attacking. They were almost through on goal. Uh, it was blocked down by the Galway full back line, and you just see the heads go down a little bit. I, I know when we're watching games, we can maybe read a bit too much into body language, but it, it seemed like, as you suggest, for the entire time, they weren't quite at it in, in that sense for some reason. Yeah, no, they were chasing from the very start. Even the goal at the start like, was wide open. You, you don't walk through like that at this level, you know, and... And then they got their bit of patch, they were patch in the second half, and it was one twenty to 19 points. And if you remember, Mark Ellis then had a short ball out to Cahill Mannion. Total mistake on his part, Mark Ellis, over the bar. And then Anthony Nash gave Mark Ellis a short poke out. He didn't deal with it. That went back over the bar, and the game was just over then. After Cork getting back into it in four points, but they were never going to win the game, you'll say. Galway were just were on song, on fire, ticked all the boxes. And um, no, they just blew Cork away. The questions about Waterford were going to be mentally, really, were they going to recover from the Munster final? Did they did, did they do enough for you? They did. They've done enough, yes. They, which tells me that the mentality of the Waterford hurlers has changed under Derek McGrath. Like, if they had to lose yesterday's game, you'd say that the championship has was a poor championship for them. League is league. They won that. But, like, championship is championship. And uh, he'd be delighted now that they're not in the final. So, like, irrespective of what happens... You'll turn around into the season and you'll say Watford have really improved. They're going forward. So they'll hit 2016 running. But I think the pressure is off now. Um, Derek McGrath will set up his team, I'd say, to, to keep it very tight against, against Kilkenny. But I think he's tweaked it a small bit that he's going to get more scores up front. Like looking at it, Jesse, he seemed to have two inside in the full forward line most of the game. Previously, that he used to have one man up front. So he's more at attack and prowess and I thought Shane Bennett was a big plus yesterday and as well as that Shane uh, Stephen Daniels and um, Dara Fives has played their first bit of action for Watford in the championship so what I was saying earlier on about Galway with a 20 man panel Watford now have that and I think the top four teams that are left in this championship in semi-finals they all have good squads of 20-21 players Yeah and looking at it uh, uh, from the point of view of Kilkenny I don't think that Brian Cody would be uh, that happy to be playing Waterford in this semi-final. I mean, I think he he might prefer to have Waterford in a final if he was going to be playing them and all of the attendant sort of pressure on Waterford going back to 1959 and all the rest of that. I mean, the way Waterford set up, the way um, uh, they pose a, a, a different question, let's say, to what Galway or Tipperary would pose, uh, might be a bit of a worry for them in the semi-final. Yeah, he'll respect them, and because he always respects every team he plays. Um, I, I don't think he'll be he'll be worrying too much that it's Watford. Um, they know with this sweeper system that they can just hit that ball in 80, 90 yards, and he expects the man unders to win primary possession. And I think that's where they have the trump card, Kilkenny. They can they can win possession anyway. So I'd say he'll Brian Cody will go along. You know, that half-backs, they just get that ball in as quick as possible. But we've seen with Brian Cody, he's not afraid to change tactics during the game. But I think, um, you know, 
It's psychological. Derek McGrath will really have to work on the Waterford guys' heads from here to the semi-final. Um, they, they'll know the challenge that Kilkenny pose, but like he'll have to really impose his game and uh, try and get on top of Kilkenny early if he can. Because I remember a few years ago, Gerald Nan used to be saying if he could stay with Kilkenny, stay with Kilkenny, maybe get him in the last 10 minutes, uh, you have a, have a chance. I think if he could hit the ground run against Kilkenny, try and have them on the back foot early in the game and, and ask the questions of Kilkenny from the start. You know, but there'll be a... Look, we know what Water are going to do and I'd say we'll have a fair idea what Kilkenny are doing, but it's a big ask for Water, you know. But um, I think uh, Derek McGrath, manager, he's shown this year he'll be rubbing his hands together relishing the challenge. Yeah, Owen, just a very quick word on Dublin. There seemed to be a view afterwards, ah, well, you know, at least Dublin stuck with Waterford and they didn't get hammered. They had good heart, all these sort of... Uh, I, I thought rather patronising superlatives, really. Should we not be expecting a little bit more from Dublin than just sticking with a team like Waterford? Yeah, I think he should, you know. Um, I, I'm disappointed with Dublin this championship, you know. Just, uh, and even, I think, Liam Rush is sending off. Mm. It was frustration, and you could nearly use that word for for Dublin season. Just, you know, David Tracy, and I go back to it, if he to nail that free, they'd probably be, have got to the Leinster final. You know, um, it didn't happen. Then Galway uh, turned them over quite easily. But I, I just think you're not seeing any new players breaking into the team. I was full sure Eamon Dillon and Keane Bolton would be starters, especially after the Galway game. But Keane Bolton only came on. Eamon Dillon, we didn't see him. He might come on near the end. You know, so there, there needs to be a freshness of players. And I suppose the thing, which is, we always go back to some of the young hurlers, of the 2011 and 2012 minor teams that were reaching all Ireland finals, they're probably playing football now. Mm. Cormac Coslaw and Kieran Kilkenny's and those. So, you know, it is it is a tough ask, but um, Jerry Cunning will need to find four or five new players uh, for the league campaign next year to really, you know, to really give give this Dublin team an injection going forward. Other than that, I think you're you're going to get again next year what what you're seeing this year. Oh, and I'm sure we'll chat again before the semi-finals. Thanks a million. Okay, okay, let's thank you. Flame hair, flame hair, flame hair, truth, Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Early. Every so often I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to bite someone. John Hayes, I'm talking about, Owen. Yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. That's where it goes from. Thanks a lot, Pepe. Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now for you give it up. Interesting theory from Owen Kelly that Cork maybe lose too many players to other sports. Certainly, I mean, that, that does happen in Dublin, in Limerick, in other in yeah. other sort of major cities as well. I mean, that that's the argument that could be put forward there. That uh, and particularly yeah. and with Dublin hurling, in fairness, even in the same course of that chat, Owen Kelly did say, "Well, Dublin hurling lose a yeah. lot of players." Too. And it's it's not even like the Cork hurlers are the bottom of the food chain, which is where the Cork footballers come in. Um, and but I mean, I think that that's just that's just the way of things, you know. Um, like Ross Common lost a really good prospect to Connacht Rugby, Jack Carty, you know. Like, it's, uh, this is kind of, that's how it goes. You're going to lose one or two along the way. The fact of the matter is, GA don't have first call on, 
on everyone. There should be well enough talent in Cork hurling to absorb the loss of the odd player. And like you say, even in the battles with the footballers, ultimately the hurlers usually win. Yeah, like Cadigan, like people are falling. Walsh, these yeah. kind of guys, they all picked hurling in the end. Well, Cadigan, well, the idea I suppose is that Owen Cadigan didn't. He, oh, course, he, he chose yeah, football, yeah, but yeah, yeah. like people fell off their chairs when Owen Cadigan said that he played with the Cork footballers. Yeah. Rather than the hurlers, so I mean, I think that that's just that's just natural selection, really. Isn't Are it? we getting too head up about this Galway aggression, Murphy? You seem you, you managed to turn it into a negative at the uh, their performance yeah. at the weekend. Well, yeah, no, it's it's not a negative, and it's very good. And like people keep saying, you know, they're back to twenty twelve levels, which is all well and good, but they got hammered in the Iron Final in twenty twelve. In the end, you know, they obviously beat Kilkenny, they drew with them in the Iron in the first game of the Iron, but they still lost that replay. The game was over with twenty minutes to go in that replay. Yeah. Um, so that's that's it's all well and good. Like they do appear to be back to that. You know, if if you come at me and say, right, well, twenty twelve levels might actually be enough to win the All Ireland this year. Kilkenny aren't as good as they were in twenty twelve. You'll find absolutely no argument for me there. I think Kilkenny have come back uh, even since twenty twelve. So yeah, I mean, it was it was good. Um, it seems like it's the only way for them to play, and they're a big side. When you have the likes of Glynn and yeah, <laughs> Canning, it seems boys. mental not to uh, exert yourself physically and to yeah. do all that to, to shoulder lads. They scored two points in the second half yesterday. Glynn, I think, scored one of them. Just incredible blocks, really physical tackles, followed immediately by shots over the bar. Just a, suddenly, it's the other team have possession and they can, they've conceded a point within a couple of seconds, which yeah. is something that they're going to have to. Yeah. Um, no, like my the only caveat that, caveat that I would put with it is that their last game was against Kilkenny and they you know they they just didn't do the business in that game so you you do have to keep that in mind as well but i mean the one more point about Johnny Glenn is that all of those catches were against Aiden Walsh <laughs> like and he made Aiden Walsh look like a juvenile mm. uh and that doesn't happen very often because he's about the most impressive human specimen i've ever seen close up Aiden Walsh and for Johnny Glenn to do that is pretty impressive can early's about to go out into the field for today's Irish time second captain's football podcast that's yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield, and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shawny man? Yeah, because Roy Keane and Rude Doctor are going to be up in Abbottstown talking about the... Uh, launch of the National Under-17 League and Have you ever asked Rude Doctor about how his name kind of sounds like a reggae artist? No Okay Just This, like, is, why, this, probably this, this is why we rarely send you out girl. <laughs> <laughs> You That's embarrass the been, company That's why I've been locked in here Yeah Rude I mean it's just a, it's just a name in Holland uh, Reasonably common Similar to Rudolf or Rolf or you know Ron uh, <laughs> in that family of names uh, happens to sound like an English word, which to which it is not in any way related. Okay, well, I'm, I'm sorry. His surname, sorry. Doctor, as well, is, I guess a, is a surname in, in Holland, which sounds, again, like an English word. Maybe it is, in this case, related. Mm. I don't know. Turns out you don't have to swing at every pitch. No. You no. know. Uh, but but uh, yeah, so we'll hear what we'll hear what they have to say. It could be quite interesting. I mean, I know Rude well, Doctor's got some big plans as well. I presume they're talking about the draw. Yeah, I mean they'll be talking about the draw. Maybe it'll be one of those where everyone will want to ask Roy Keane about the draw and James McLean and, oh, and yeah. you know that kind of stuff. And he'll just be like, "I'm here to talk about 
I'm not here to talk about any of that stuff. Or he could be in one of those expansive moods. Where he wants to talk wants about everything. About everything and it could up. just be he wants to get a few things off his chest. As we don't speak, know until he, we go. He could be rolling out of bed right now and the decision is being made as he rolls up out of bed <laughs> Again, whether his press I, conference I, is going to be interesting yeah. or not. I think Roy Keane might be a 6am riser as well, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, I'm not yeah, sure he's, if he, he's been up for a while. If you ever listen to Leinster players talk about the reasons that the team climbed to the top of European rugby, Leo Cullen's name is never far away for his role as player, captain, leader, really. Those in charge of the province seem pretty confident that those traits are going to be enough to offset his lack of experience as they prepare to hand him the role of head coach on a full-time basis. Bernard Jackman and Jerry Thornley are ready to go on this one. Jerry, what do you think of the appointment? Um, well, yeah, at first glance, it's a little bit of a surprise because he has only had the one year away from playing. So, um, And Leinster, head coach, is one of the biggest jobs in Europe. We're talking three-time Heineken Cup winners. And, of course, he was a, he, one of the most influential figures in that um, sequence of successes. He has always, you talk to people about Leo, and you, the one thing they always say is what a magnificent leader he's been. Um, brings great clarity to the role of leadership as a, as a player, as a captain, a natural-born leader going back to the Black Rock Dream Team. And he clearly brings an exceptional level of rugby intelligence to his work. Um, and I, you hope it just hasn't come too soon for him, that's all, you know, and that uh, you ideally might have liked him to have been on the coaching uh, merry-go-round for a little bit longer, accumulating a little bit more experience. I can't imagine... It's exactly what Leicester planned on doing uh, when they first removed Matt O'Connor. Certainly, Robbie Deans appears to have been sounded out. Um, but for whatever reason, they've come to this conclusion now. And um, you hope it goes really well for him. And there's a lot of positive in the sense that it's good to see another Irish Indigenous coach coach on the highest level. It was a complaint for Irish rugby for a long time. And now you've got both himself and Anthony Foley. Um, coaching Leinster and Munster and undoubtedly there will be comparisons drawn between the two now It sounds like you do have concerns though Jerry, about the fact that it might have come too early Well you have to I mean he only has stopped playing just over a year ago um, and uh, it doesn't mean an awful lot of experience for job it, 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 it's hard to imagine a top 14 club going for um, a player as their head coach within a year of retiring or most of the English Premiership clubs they generally have to cut their teeth a little bit longer but having said that Somebody like Gonzalo Casada stepped very promptly into coaching with Rassi Metro and then on to staff and say, look what he's achieved there, French Championship this year. It can work. It remains to be seen whether it will. It is a little bit of a gamble. I can't imagine what they had imagined them doing it to begin with. But like I said, whenever I've spoken to other people about Leo Cullen, they only speak with great, great respect for him, and particularly as a leader. And that kind of calm, methodical clarity he brings in the huddle, in teams, in dressing rooms, and nights before the game, and so forth. So he's definitely cut out for this job. Eventually, he was going to get this job. It's just come a little sooner than you would have imagined it happening for him. Yeah, Bernard Jackman is one of the men who's experienced the, those leadership qualities. Bernard, how transferable are they to the role of head coach at a club the size of Leinster? Um, I think they're very, they're much more transferable from when you when you consider the type of leader he was. Um, Leo was a guy who didn't, uh, I suppose, speak speak a whole lot, uh, but when he spoke, everybody everybody listened. And he was a guy who you know who deliberated over what he was going to say and deliberated over how he was going to act. Um, and that's something I think is important because you know he's taken over Leinster in a in certainly a time of transition. You could say it's a crisis period. Um, you know, having having obviously decided to remove Matt and and uh, Caputo moving on, um, and you know it's a World Cup year. Leinster have I think twenty four guys in, in the training squad at the moment. They're going to lose probably seventeen, eighteen um, to the World Cup. It's going to be a young group of players playing. You know, in the in the opening rounds of the the Guinness Pro Twelve. So there is a there's a level of uncertainty about Leinster and a guy like Leo. 
um, the way he deals with people and communicates with people. Um, and I suppose he he delegates as well. Uh, even as a captain, he was very good at delegating. So I think that he knows the he knows the situation there. He knows the structure in Leinster. He knows the players that are that are there, and he knows the coaching t- team he's put together quickly. You know, with with, with Gervin Dempsey obviously stepping in um, and having a dual role from managing the academy, but also being the the backs coach. Uh, John Fogarty, you know, uh, was in the system. Had played played with Leo. Was in the system coaching the the young props in Leinster, and um, you know, Richie Murphy's going to come back in after the World Cup. Who, who Rich, who Leo knows very well, and also Kurt McQuilkin. So he's quickly got together a team that he's obviously very comfortable with in terms of his staff. And um, you know, I think I agree with Jerry. I think it was always going to be. It was just a matter of when he was going to get the opportunity. Uh, you know, it's happened quicker than. Uh, I think probably even he would have planned, but uh, you know you got to take these opportunities when they, when they come. And, and uh, I, I, I think that I think he's a good appointment. I think that the big key, the key for him, the key decision for him would be whether to go out and get a, a world class back coach with, with outside experience. Mm. Maybe that world class backs coach is already there. Maybe it's, it's Gervin Dempsey, and maybe it's Richie Murphy. I don't know, but that's going to be the that's the one obvious gap in terms of. Um, position he's got to fill full time uh, post November, and you know that that could be the change or the, the different point of view that Leinster need um, to to get their attacking game back uh, back to where it was. Um, or as I said, maybe Gervin uh, uh, or Richie Murphy or, or someone else already in the system has that uh, capacity to to step up, um, and that'll be that'll be a key decision because at the moment all the other. All the other positions are filled, um, and it'll be just a case of getting down and, and, and creating a, a game plan and uh, creating an environment and creating a culture, which you know I think uh, even senior players have, have admitted maybe has slipped a little bit, and that's uh, that's something that's massively important because uh, Leinster have the talent um, for sure, but culture culture is what wins wins championships, and, um, and Leo's Leo's very clued into that, and he's a guy who who looked to drive that day to day. So should we be um, a bit concerned though, Bernard, that the culture did slip last year while Cullen was involved on the coaching ticket? He was in, uh, in charge of the forwards, and it didn't go well. I mean, the forwards didn't play with the sort of edge that they had done for most of the years that he was involved uh, as a player. So it's not as though his one year as a coach so far from the outside looking at it has gone so stratospherically well that you have to get this guy straight in and parachute him in as the head coach yeah well maybe his skill set is more suited to being a head coach than a unit coach you know I, um, for me Leo's a guy who's like an MD you know that's how he was a captain and his his great strength is actually empowering others uh, and uh, also if you're a unit coach while you know the, the supporters and, and the journalists and the pundits will 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 uh, I suppose critique uh, a unit's performance? You have to understand sometimes that um, unit coaches don't get to run their, uh, things exactly how they want as well. Uh, you're being told to uh, to run a, a six-man lineup, for example, for for a line for a lineup coach uh, in certain zones of the field, and you're told to win the ball at the back. And you know, even though you know statistically, uh, based on your analysis of the opposition, that that's not a strength of that's that's that's, that's going to be hardball to win, or it's not a strength of your side, the profile of players you have. But you got to go and, and and be a loyal lieutenant as a, as a unit coach. Whereas as a head coach, um, you know you 
you boss and, and, and you lead and, and, and I suppose direct your unit coaches to, to, to play and to, to complement your game plan. So, um, you know, I think there's guys who are much more suited to being a head coach than a unit coach and vice versa. Uh, so I wouldn't judge him. I don't think Leinster's fault. I think if you look at Leinster's pack's performance in Toulon away, um, they were right there. They certainly struggled with, with consistency. And also I think that... Uh, you know the cultural side of it, and, and whether Leo could have influenced the culture more last year. Again, it's hard. You know, your first year as a as a coach, um, and only being a unit coach. But now suddenly, you know, he, he becomes head coach. Everybody in the organisation is looking to him to um, to set the standard and, and to have clarity in about what they want to represent. So again, it's even it's even easier. And I think, as I said to you, I think that his skill set probably. Um, uh, suits being a head coach uh, as much as being a unit coach. I'm not. I'm not doubting he could be a good unit coach, but definitely I would say his skill set is 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 geared towards probably having more power than less. All right, Jerry. What would you uh, say on that? And would you uh, put much of the the blame for last season's underperformances at the door of Leo Cullen as forwards coach? It's very hard to know. I mean, I suppose ultimately you have to stand to say that ultimately it's the head coach. Uh, is the main man responsible for performance, and of course, Matt O'Connor played um, paid for it with the, by losing his job, and shows you what a, a ruthless business this game is for coaching. And um, there aren't that many good jobs, and it's not it's 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 a marathon, not a sprint. But uh, and it's difficult for some coaches to stay in the treadmill and keep it going. You look at somebody like John O'Gibbs, who's paced himself very well, did cut his teeth as an assistant with Leinster, now cutting his teeth with uh, as an assistant with Claremont, and as such, he's playing the long game, and he will be he will be on the coaching treadmill for some time to come and could well come back to Ireland or maybe even the Premiership or ultimately gravitate towards a top-14 job, or of course, certainly go back to New Zealand. So he's got a lot more options. Um, just looking for the future and how this is going to pan out, uh, it has to work for Leo Cullen, or else where does he go? You know, it's a bit like Anthony Foley at Munster as well, and it's why you wish him the best and hope it hasn't come too soon for him. I wouldn't. I couldn't imagine Leinster making this point been very lightly. They've clearly been very impressed. They've sounded out players about this. Although they haven't sounded out players, I'm told when they removed Matt O'Connor, I'd be surprised they haven't sounded out players about this. Um, it's helpful for them that you know Johnny Sexton's coming home. A good pool of talent there. Um, but of course, the flip side of that is that whoever was responsible for last season's performances, the legacy lives on this season in that very poor league form, the worst they've had in 11 years. And it's resulted in a third season in a particularly tough, brutally tough draw in the Champions Cup. Um, and, of course, Leinster will be bulk suppliers to the World Cup, 15 or 16 players. So Leo's not going to have any of them, and the rest of the coaching staff are not going to have them for the first couple of months of the season. And if Ireland make it all the way to the final weekend, um, they will then have only two weeks readiness for the first round of the Champions Cup. And you've also got a very demanding fan base like in Munster, who became very used to success and expect a certain success, and not only success, but playing a certain brand of rugby. So it's a very challenging job that Leo Cullen is inheriting from Matt O'Connor, whoever was responsible for last year's downturn, um, and whoever was going to take over is going to be a very challenging job, and that's certainly the case for Leo. That's an interesting point, Jerry, about the fans. Uh, it was even said again over the weekend that Leinster are particularly demanding. I don't know if they're any more demanding than Munster fans necessarily or than Ulster fans, but certainly there was so much success for a few years there that people do expect a Champions Cup every year now at this stage, uh, which might be too realistic. The fact that it's Leo Cullen, the fact that he has such a status amongst Leinster supporters, is that likely to give him a little more leeway, maybe a little more room for some poor results early on than Matt O'Connor got? 
you think of those chants of Leo, Leo when he was a player, and, and he definitely has a kind of iconic status amongst the Leinster faithful, and I think that will cut him a lot more slack than would have been the case for Matt O'Connor, who certainly, um, it seemed, if, if you can go by social media, but there was a lot of discontent, certainly, amongst the Leinster support base, and it wasn't just the results, it was the performances as well, um, which ultimately did for Matt O'Connor with the Leinster fans, I think, um, Leo Cullen, will, the allowance will be made for all those factors that I've outlined there about the, the World Cup drain. Don't forget the Six Nations as well. There's going to be a lot of calls on Leinster players by Ireland. They will be bulk suppliers again. And Ireland's success, um, it's good that Ireland are having success, but it's, the, the balance has probably been tipped when you think of the period when Munster and Leinster won five Heineken Cups in a, in a seven-year period. When Irish rugby was in the provinces, we're never going to see that kind of success again. Whereas in the last two years, of course, it's been back-to-back Six Nations titles, albeit by a whisker. There have been back-to-back Six Nations titles for the first time since the 40s. So there is, the, the balance has been tipped towards um, Team Ireland and, you know, Irish rugby needed Team Ireland to be successful as well. And it's a very hard balance to act with such a small pool of players. And that would be the concern, I suppose, in Leinster, that the results did taper off so much during that Six Nations window. That was the main contrast with the years before. During the Six Nations window, the rest of the squad stood, stood up to play, and results were very good generally. There was like generally no more than one defeat in that window, four or five wins in that, in that whereas this time round, results tapered off badly, and that effectively cost them a face any chance of a shot at the playoffs. And, and that will, you know, that the squad is going to be tested even more severely this season. Yeah, it's a funny one, uh, isn't it, Bernard? I'm trying to think of other sports. Steve Staunton obviously came in as Republic of Ireland manager, and his 100-odd caps and all his achievements as a player didn't ultimately didn't count for much, certainly after a year or so of poor results. Do you think the Leinster fans will, will actually be patient with Leo Cullen? And what does patience mean? If there's a shocking season next year, would you expect there to be no repercussions? Because it's and I shouldn't be negative about this. Hopefully it'll all go really well. But would you expect Leinster fans to be a little bit easier on Cullen than they were on Matt O'Connor? Yeah, I'd imagine, I imagine they'll give him... Um, We'll give him probably more time. Uh, I know Matt had Matt got two seasons, uh, and you know Matt he won a a, a, a rabo a rabo on his first season. But I think the big thing was the way Leinster were playing and just um, how Matt handled the media. Uh, some of his comments post post defeats probably um, didn't help his case. But you know Matt's Matt's argument uh, is that he was very much hampered by by the the fact that Leinster had so many players playing uh, playing for Ireland and uh, he certainly doesn't think uh, it's an easy environment to work in um, so you got if Leinster were looking to bring in a coach um, at the moment there's not many head coaches available um, and you know particularly World Cup year um, it's it's important to have a guy a guy who knows the system knows the squad um, and can just get on with it straight away. I think you bring in a coach from the Southern Hemisphere who's no experience in Northern Hemisphere rugby, uh, you're probably going to have to give him a year to to get the grips with it because it's very different. Uh, so I think Leo Leo will get up and running quicker than anyone else uh, could have done. And uh, yeah, I think the, the fans will give him give him a break. But at the end of the day, Leo will know that he's going to be judged on results and performances and um, what those KPIs are, what 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 the minimum level is. Um, I'm not sure, but uh, even with the excuse of having so many players in the Irish squad, uh, you still have to expect Leinster and Leo will expect Leinster to be, you know, con- uh, contesting for for silverware, and that's. 
that's the minimum to be honest uh, I think when you take over a team like Leinster Munster Ulster um, and you know hopefully Connor will get there but it's to be it's to be involved in the knockout stages of, of both competitions and, and uh, he'll he'll be motivated and energised by that because uh, you know he's a guy who's used to winning and uh, he he won't look for excuses that he's it's only a second year coach and he'll look to um, to get the best out of his players yep listen Bernard Jerry we'll leave it there great stuff thanks a million In the final and on it again. And here. Uh, it seems very clear actually that Bernard thinks in, enjoys the role of head coach maybe more than he did uh, in, in, in charge of parts of the mm. Grenoble team and he feels that maybe Leo Cullen would be better suited to leading the entire operation but you know it's still the team didn't go well last year uh, I would have thought maybe if they had gone and won a, a Champions Cup or whatever it might be it reflects better on all concerns. That's when you promote from within. Yeah, situation usually. Like that. Yeah. yeah. Now that said, any coach, any appointment in any sport is often a reaction against the previous appointment. And Matt O'Connor, a lot of people accuse him of moving away from traditional Leinster values. So doesn't get much more traditional Leinster yeah. values than appointing Leo Cullen as your head coach. And I suppose he will. There's also the caveat of it being World Cup year. And uh, as Bernard's saying, you need a coach maybe familiar with the workings of the provincial season mm. to withstand the kind of blows that they're going to have because it's not an easy year for Leinster or for any of the provinces really. Yeah, it is. And, you know, say the 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 idea of the decorated ex-player coming in to manage the team. I mean, I think certainly in the GA, like <laughs> there is there is an element certainly where you're, you're bought a bit of time, but then it's it's just gone then. You know, that you use up the time and it's either stays with you and you can do no wrong even when you're doing wrong but then if but if you make a, a couple of missteps in the first year it's no protection whatsoever to you like it's he's a great player you fans are very very quick to yeah. be able to make that division between yes he was a very good player but unfortunately he's not a very good manager and that's just the way it is um and it's not a case really of 
kind of been mealy-mouthed about it. You, it's, I don't know, the, a, yeah. the concerns are obvious. I remember when Staunton, who I brought up there, was appointed, and uh, or certainly when things started going wrong for him, and uh, a lot of people in media, included, felt that his time was up, and ultimately he, his contract wasn't renewed. People are saying, oh, well, I didn't hear you. How no, the knives out when... His contract's... He was sacked. Oh, he was sacked. Okay. Uh, I was trying to be... <laughs> Halfway through <laughs> a four-year contract. Yeah. Uh, and people were saying, oh, I didn't hear you having the knives out on the, the day he was appointed, you know, and you're interviewing him and this and the other. And it's like, well, we, we did express concerns. Everyone expressed concerns, but you can't kill a guy. You know, yeah. you can't say Leo Cullen's a bad appointment as Leinster coach when the fella hasn't had a chance to coach one game. And in fairness, I think there is a, a big difference with Staunton in that he has... He essentially was coaching while still playing, and he has had a year as a forwards coach. So it's not quite as out of the blue as, uh, as yeah. Staunton, Staunton hadn't had a huge amount of experience, a bit of bit of work at Walsall, but nothing huge. I mean, you, you can't. I mean, it would be ridiculous to say to to before a game has been played to say this isn't going to work out. This isn't, it's ridiculous. You have to wait and see what happens. Mm. You know, I mean. Could be a success and, and maybe not. Mm. I mean, if it's not a success, I'm sure people will say, well, you know, the inexperience was always a factor. Um, of course. And if it is, you know, it's like, well, of course, he knows Leinster like the, like the back of his hand, you yeah. know I mean? It's the, it's the tyranny, really, of, you know, ha- uh, you know, being asked your opinion on something, you know, that, that once you have expressed your opinion on something, you can't then change it, <laughs> which is obviously just a ridiculous way to both go through life and indeed go through journalism. So there you go. One more quick piece of sporting news in the weekend was that Chris Froome was crowned Tour de France champion for a second time. There was no great surprise in that one. The last chance that uh, Quintana had to catch him was on Saturday going up Alpe d'Huez and going around Dutch Corner. Now, I know we talk a lot about uh, about cycling and we talked about Froome, the legitimacy or otherwise of his achievements at the moment last week. But I do have to doff my cap, chapeau as they say again, mm-hmm. uh, to all those cyclists for not getting off their bike and punching the head off some supporters mm. around Dutch Corner or somewhere along uh, Alpe d'Huez. Even, it's, it's even more wild than any of the other stages that you see. I mean, any professional sports person who has to put up with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles running beside them, screaming either encouragement and or abuse, I think, uh, you know, I, th- I think there's a certain legitimacy to what they're doing and managing to get through. No, that. no, I, I, I think certainly you're right. I'm, I'm trying to picture Rory McIlroy, for instance. <laughs> You know how 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 would Roy McIlroy handle that? If somebody, if a teenage mutant ninja turtles comes, along, I'm I'm kind of this is an amalgamation of all the things that have happened. But if a teenage mutant ninja turtle came along, punched Roy McIlroy in the ribs, yeah. spat at him, and threw urine at him, called him a doper, mm-hmm. uh, how would he? I would say he would <laughs> he'd be somewhat nonplussed. Yeah, I would say that he would say something about the spirit of golf. <laughs> Uh, and how some of those, uh, in fact, all of those things run contrary to the spirit of the great game of golf. What do you think about it, um, Owen, for him? Uh, at this stage? Mm-hmm. Oh, we talked a lot about it last week. I have my doubts. Um, I believe Sky have handled things unbelievably badly and their PR policy of doing one thing, saying one thing and doing another re- is really annoying and it has been for the last number of years as soon as they set themselves up as this zero tol- tolerance. They still use that. That phrase is still used in connection with them even though it's been shown that they've employed guys who have been done for doping uh, both in, in a medical sense and in a writing sense not while they're writing for them uh, and yet they're still trying to portray themselves as this squeaky clean holier than thou uh, kind of company for, for whatever reason. Maybe it's Froome's mild manner but he the possibility of him doping for some reason grates on me less than just the possibility of Team Sky having an inkling about it uh, or certainly Team Sky's 
I think, fairly clunky attempts to uh, prove that he's not doping. Now, they'll say, well, look, how do you prove a negative? That's mm. what they'll say. Well, you don't release some random bits of data and try to claim that in some way this is showing that he's not doping, which is what they did. If you're going to stick to your guns, stick to your guns and don't release anything yeah. rather than doing uh, essentially what you're criticizing others for. And that's telling your own, telling the story you want to tell with selected numbers. Yeah, yeah. You? I, I, I just don't know what to think about him. I mean, yeah, it's hard. It's like, uh, you know, I suppose... I mean, it's, it's it's just interesting to watch, say, the, you know, Walsh and Kimmage, really. Mm. You know, these are guys, you know, the sport a bit better than me. Like, but uh, to see the way that David Walsh, I mean, I was listening, obviously, to David Walsh's interviews last month and, and or, or a couple last of weeks week. ago, you know, in this kind of sense that, you know, he's working for the Sunday Times, the Sunday Times, Sky, you know, there's this kind of obvious link uh, at a corporate level between those entities. Is it fair to use that to, you know, to kind of, Suggest that that's affecting what he thinks when he looks at the. You know, I'm not. I'm not convinced about that. But you know, uh, I, th- I think it's really. It's just really difficult. He must be. Yeah. It was strange. You know, it's strange to look at the Sunday Times yesterday, for instance, yeah. and you know, a week after Paul Kimmich called it Pravda, effectively, yeah. Chris Freeman was on the front page of the Sunday Times. Yeah. When I'm when I'm looking at it, it's so not just it's the Times as well, and I'm looking at it thinking. You know, is this the, the, they, they, have the, they have the former team doctor as well, uh, an Irish guy of Sky who did a column. And in fairness, when you're when you're reading what he says, it, it's uh, I think Alan Farrell is the man's name. For, he's very clear, and there's no reason to doubt his integrity. And he's very clear in saying there's nothing I saw about Froome that suggests there's anything wrong with them. So people are entitled to their opinion, and I, I guess the Sunday Times are entitled to put those opinions. Exactly, yeah, and, and and it's a it's a little bit like the point we were just making about like Leo Cullen or Steve Staunton. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, on the one level, this guy has just won the Tour de France, which obviously, just winning the Tour de France in itself puts you under suspicion, right? It's like a crown of thorns, right, this this championship. If you win that, yeah, you're automatically, oh, yeah. automatically, yeah. I have yeah. to wonder. Chris, like, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, Chris Froome has proved the doubters wrong. I saw that repeatedly over the weekend, but of course he hasn't. The doubters yeah. are doubting him because they think that he's up the to something. The argument just got reinforced. Well, yeah, exactly. But don't you also, isn't there also kind of a, isn't, don't you also have a certain responsibility to treat people fairly? Yeah. I mean, if, you know, say David Walsh, for instance, is quite experienced in this area, uh, and make, making the comparison with what happened with Armstrong, you know, that sort of at the same point of having kind of been covering the Armstrong story, he'd had, you know, six people, I think, after three years, but six people had told him, oh, this guy's doping, this guy's doing this and that. And he hasn't just got that with Froome at all. Yeah. I mean, in the absence of like a really, you know, Froome goes up the mountain like an aeroplane. The question yeah. is, is the English media as a, pursuing Froome as aggressively as Armstrong was pursuing? Well, I, I mean, I think, I think probably not, mm. you know? Well, I mean, the, the pursuit of Armstrong, I mean, that it wasn't nothing and nothing and nothing and nothing and then they got him. It's, you know, the pursuit of, of Armstrong went on for as long as it did because there were enough people giving the story oxygen at vital times for people to say, right, well, there is something here. Let's, you know, and as of right now, they don't have that with Froome other than just, other than looking at his performances, looking at, you know, how poor he was in the early stages of his career compared to now. And and also there's some, as I'm saying, there's sometimes shady seeming behavior of Sky when they kind of release, yeah. you know, information which is confusing or you know, release information which is incomplete or make claims about the information they're, they're releasing which actually 
or, 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 or say originally that they're not going to employ any European doctors because of the links to doping and then of course they go and employ a European doctor with links to doping yeah, and yeah. then let him go and then bring back the British guy which they've done this year apparently to a certain amount of yeah. fanfare but Win- winning the Tour de France is, is effectively you know like the you know let's go drown the witch and if she's you know if, if she drowns then she wasn't a witch Ken you got to get out uh, to Abbottstown there you look like you're you're ready to go yep. talk to some people thanks Ken thank you Owen thanks Owen thanks Ken thanks Kieran. thanks very much for listening and we'll talk to you later take care That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.